0: So last week we looked at the um, the what and the why of shamatha vipassana or jhana meditation. Uh, this week we're going to look at the four foundations of mindfulness, and uh, these are very specific aspects of mindfulness that the Buddha teaches. Um, he did not teach the modern most modern applications of mindfulness, which is a very broad. Uh, almost a throwing a fishnet approach on phenomena, which which proves to only be distracting. He taught mindfulness to be, as it relates to the Dhamma, which really means to be mindful of the four noble truths, in particular to be mindful, to hold in mind, that's what mindfulness means, by the way, to recollect or to hold in mind, to recollect or hold in mind the entire eightfold path as our path towards awakening. In the uh, Truth of Happiness book, I don't present the entire Satipatthana Sutta in this chapter, um, but if you read and if you have access to Becoming Buddha, the larger volume, the entire Satipatthana Sutta is in that book. And the Satipatthana Sutta is the, the primary sutta on the four foundations of mindfulness, although there's many others that are similar, including the Anapanasati Sutta. And the reason why I'm mentioning this is if, if you do read one or both of those, and I encourage you to, You'll realize that after the Buddha gives his initial instructions on the actual four foundations of mindfulness that I'm going to touch on in a moment, he goes into a more um, elaborate sutta that relates to how to apply ever deepening concentration and an ever deepening understanding of how to, of right mindfulness. So even in the eightfold path. That seventh factor of the Eightfold Path is called Right Mindfulness, which of course implies that there is such a thing, even going back to the Buddhist time, as Wrong Mindfulness, meaning that we can hold in mind things that may seem altruistic, compassionate, so-called spiritual, or even religious, that have nothing to do with the Dhamma and will prove to only be distraction. So again, the, the, the whole point of the four foundations of mindfulness is to understand first what to hold in mind to deepen our concentration practice during jhana meditation, and then what to hold in mind as far as our practice is concerned. And again, the elements that are in the uh, more lengthy uh, Satipatthana Sutta are also taught as we progress through the course and they're better, they're better, um, uh, they're, it's, they're better applied when we have a little bit more foundation on what we're doing here. So uh, I'm just going to read a bit from out of the, uh, from what you've just read. And then I want to hear how your meditation is going from week to week and how you've been able to incorpor- incorporate these four foundations of mindfulness. The four foundations of mindfulness are taught to bring immediate mindfulness of what is occurring during Jhana meditation. That's a, that's a rather strong declarative statement when you realize all the modern applications of mindfulness. And I'm not putting any of those down. I'm just relating to, as far as Dhamma practice is concerned, this is how we practice mindfulness. So it's immediately related to jhana meditation. And so it's jhana meditation that informs right mindfulness and supports that right mindfulness of holding in mind the entire Eightfold Path. It certainly does take concentration, doesn't it? Especially to a mind that is prone to distraction because of its ignorance of four noble truths. Mindfulness is the quality of mind that supports developing lasting peace and happiness, right mindfulness. Practicing mindfulness within the framework of the four noble truths is straightforward, accessible, and easily understood and practiced. In other words, most people get lost in a so-called mindfulness practice because it's not focused. It's it's often taught that mindfulness, there, there's um, famous books written this way, to be being mindful of washing the dishes. And I'm not putting the, the author down, I'm just using their title to make a point. It's good to be mindful when we're washing the dishes, or driving a car, or petting our dog, or giving a class. But that's not Dhamma practice. There's no Dhamma practice in forcing myself to be mindful of, of scrubbing a dish. The Dharma practice is first practice on a cushion developing jhana meditation and then know how to apply the Eightfold Path while I'm putting soap on a dish. There's quite a bit of difference in Dharma practice because one develops the Eightfold Path within ordinary phenomena, meaning such as washing a dish or washing a dog or driving a car, etc., etc. None of those are, are, are Dharma practice and it relates to something else that is often taught as meditation and it's often related back to the four foundations of mindfulness in the Satipatthana Sutta or the Anapanasati Sutta because further along in both of those suttas, the Buddha does talk about being mindful when you're walking. But if you read the sutta carefully, being mindful when we're walking is not walking meditation. It's simply a a carryover, an expression of the jhana meditation that we've developed authentically on our cushion and then framed by the Eightfold Path. So again, there's no real value of being mindful of my walking unless that walking is unless the experience of that walking is well concentrated and framed by the Eightfold Path. So there's more than just that, that grasping after, okay, I'm gonna be mindful of this and mindful of that. That's not Dhamma practice. We establish mindfulness in the four foundations of mindfulness, and then we carry that out of our off our cushion through the eightfold path. And that is how we apply mindfulness to our to our daily life. And we can talk more about this. The four foundations of mindfulness are being mindful of the breath in the body. So, excuse me for a moment. When we're doing jhana meditation, or as the older volume of the book said, shamatha vipassana meditation, they're, they're both the same thing, by the way. I hope there's no confusion there. When we're engaging in jhana meditation, if we're doing it correctly, the way the Buddha taught it, the way we do it here, the way it's in the the guided meditations from the website, is we, we become mindful of our breath and the body. That's how we start our meditation. That's how we start establishing seclusion. It's how we start establishing the first foundation of mindfulness. And so everybody does that if you're doing jhana meditation. It's not something that, again, it's not an aspect of a practice that's inaccessible or takes months or even or years to develop we're we're engaging in the four foundations of mindfulness every time we do jhana meditation or right meditation the second foundation of mindfulness is to be mindful of feelings arising and passing away from the sixth sense base the sixth sense base is simply our five physical senses and the sixth sense of our consciousness so we take we become mindful of our breath and our body that's how we begin to establish the fourth foundations of mindfulness. And for most of us during jhana meditation, within a moment or two, within a second or two, certainly within a minute or two, for almost every one of us, we're going to find that we're distracted by a feeling that's arising or a thought that's attached to a feeling or a thought that's driving the feeling. The second foundation of mindfulness simply teaches us to be mindful that that's what's going to occur and return back to the first foundation of mindfulness. And in that way, and in that moment, we're diminishing eye making by self-identifying with feelings and thoughts, and we're interrupting the ongoing story that we that we cling to in our own minds that keeps ignorance of four noble truths going. So, in that moment, as I'm not, as I'm recognizing that I'm caught up in a feeling, and I take a breath and interrupt that that feeling i'm interrupted interrupting conditioned thinking rooted in ignorance of four noble truths and it's just that direct and it's just that powerful that's why the buddha taught jhana meditation and no other method because as soon as we engage in the four foundations of mindfulness during jhana meditation we are interrupting in a in the most practical way that train of thought that conditioned thinking that would only serve to maintain ignorance so the next foundation of mindfulness, the third foundation of mindfulness, is just like the second, being mindful of thoughts arising from the sixth sense base, meaning a feeling often will feed a thought, will get caught up in a train of thought about, why did that person look at me so nasty the other day? And and, and that, that that thought attached to the feeling is called an emotion. That's what an emotion is. It's a judgment of a feeling. And when as soon as we do that, as soon as we judge a feeling in a personal way, we're caught up in the whole... Um, the whole scenario that we've wrapped up around simple human feelings arising and passing away. We've personalized the simple human act of living moment by moment. What do we do with it when we find that we're caught up in our thoughts? We take a breath. We go back to the first foundation of mindfulness. And that, that grounds our mind back in our body. That's a ground is a little bit a strong word to use there. It unites our mind and our body in a very gentle way. And it continues to interrupt ignorance that would otherwise be continued through some other meditation method or so-called analytical practice where we're, where we're diving into. Um, there's many meditation methods, and I won't mention the, the name, but if some of you have been on their retreats, you would recognize that the first thing they teach you on, in, in this method method is to spend two or three days just on your breath and then discard breath meditation and only focus on what's arising and passing away. But what, what happens is you get caught up in analyzing a, a normal human feeling that in and of itself has no power except the power to distract in this moment. And so that method becomes just a method of distraction. The Buddha recognized that. Because that was just as common a practice 2600 years ago as it is today. And again, he was encouraged by both Alara Kalama and Udeka Ramaputta, the Buddha's two major teachers, to get into that type of analytical way of so-called meditation. Of course, anytime we do that, we're just distracting ourselves by the, by the analysis. And I'm not saying that we should never consider our feelings and where they come from, et cetera, et cetera. But that's not meditation practice. That's not jhana meditation. If you feel that you want to do that in some other method or some other venue, go ahead. But don't do it in your meditation practice because you won't be increasing concentration. Excuse me. So the fourth foundation of mindfulness is to be being mindful of the present. Uh, simply being mindful of what is arising in this present moment. And that last instruction that I give uh, during meditation to to notice the quality of your mind, be at peace with your mind, that relates directly to the fourth foundation of mindfulness. And what that means is as we regain control of our thinking through, through increasing concentration and right mindfulness, we will no longer be reacting to a quality of mind that we wish was different and those that have heard me for a while have heard you've heard me say we gain the ability to be at peace with less than peaceful mind states I think you could understand how that relates directly to the proper definition of awakening meaning gaining full human maturity because a fully mature human being will no longer react to a less than peaceful mind state because they understand the impermanence of what's occurring they now train themselves to take a breath Come back into their mind and their body, and the feeling is now gone, or at least it's no longer, um, distracting us from our life. And we may have to do that over and over again. If, if it's a particularly stressful situation, we may have to continually come back bring our minds back in our body. But that's the point, isn't it? That's practice. It's not a, it's not a one, a one time panacea where we just, we do it once and we're good to go. That's the point of practice. But every time that we reclaim our mind through jhana meditation, through following the guidance, every time we do it, we're deepening our concentration and we're strengthening right mindfulness. And the reason why I'm saying it this way is that this also relates directly to what the Buddha is teaching here. He's not teaching that jhana meditation is something stagnant. In fact, it's something that is incredibly vibrant as long as we stay within that framework. Because then we'll, we'll start the recognition of now I'm no longer distracted by my feelings and my thoughts. And that the quality of that fourth foundation of mindfulness will continue to increase. Until eventually, it. I'm not going to get too deep into the levels of jhana. Until eventually that fourth foundation of mindfulness reflects directly the fourth level of jhana. Which is deep and abiding equanimity. that is That is no longer interrupted or affected by what's occurring in the world. So I just want to finish this briefly and then we'll go around the room recognition of the initiation of eye-making develops the ability to bring c- continued eye-making to cessation. I'm going to leave the rest. Again, going back to the four foundations of mindfulness, every time I find out, find that I'm caught up in my feelings or my thoughts, caught up in an emotion, and I take a breath, I'm depersonalizing that moment. I'm bringing eye-making to cessation in a direct way, in a way that I have complete control over. Meaning, And I'm saying that, it, my... my my development of awakening, my development of the cessation of eye making, is not based on merit. It's not based on on gaining recognition from some quasi spiritual system that's going to shine its light on me because I'm such a such a, a great Buddhist. No. And every time I do it, this is the fourth time I'll say it, but the last time I'll say it. Every time I take a breath, and stop distracting myself by personalizing feelings and thoughts, I'm diminishing eye making, and I'm contributing directly. To my own awakening. So that's my talk on the four foundations of mindfulness. Um, so I'd like to go around, around the room and uh, hear how your, um, your Jhana meditation practice is developing, uh, if, if you're finding the method um, difficult or easy to do, and if you're actually listening to the guided meditations on the website. And then if you can make a connection between what you learned this week and Jhana meditation, Uh, Josh, I'll start with you just because you're at the top of the screen. How are you, Josh?
1: Good, John. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Hi, Josh. Uh, I have noticed here within the last couple of weeks, I've gotten in the habit of waking up uh, like at three or four o'clock in the morning, I wake up and I... I try to go back to sleep. If I'm unsuccessful after about a half hour, I get up and go do meditation. Great. And, uh, that's a good time for me to do it because it's, it's my, my mind is awake and I'm alert. And, and, uh, I, feel that I can concentrate on my breath for maybe 15 seconds. And something that uh, Jordan said the other day has really stuck with me was that I find myself aware of when, when I'm off in the ether somewhere. But I never, I'm, I, I have a hard time recognizing when I'm leaving my breath and going into that area. I, I, just, I just find I'm there, and occasionally I'll be there, it seems like forever, and then I'll say, oh, God, and then I'll go back and recognize my, uh, and I've, I've done that and, and try to really focus on my breathing. And sometimes I find it very difficult to even focus on my breathing, it, it's a struggle. Mm -hmm. but if I I stay there long enough then then everything kind of calms down and and I'm okay again today when I was doing the jhana (laughs) I woke up during my meditation practice thinking I wonder if the Buddha ever had (laughs) daydreams I don't know where that came from but (laughs) but I'm getting the fact that you, that I have this monkey brain, this chatter going all all the time and that, and that John is a way for me to, to interrupt those recordings yep. long enough for me to, to stop, you know, whatever the, those recordings are, whether they're positive, negative or neutral. And, and, uh, uh, uh Certainly, as you said, if I've, I I haven't had a lot of really stressful suffering events lately, but if I did, I would know I would have to really go back to to uh, uh, John a very over and over again to, to get through that. But, yeah. but uh, it is working for me. That
0: Good. thank you. Thank you, Justin. I mean, that's, that's what you just described, that it is where You described a jhana practice. Jhana meditation is not just being mindful of your breath. I've, I've never met anybody. I used to say when I first started teaching, especially then, that the point of meditation is to not have any thoughts. That's impossible. The only way to do it is to cut your head off. It's not recommended. The point of meditation is to deepen concentration, which means the direct act of recognizing that I'm caught up in my feelings and thoughts and coming back to the sensation of breathing. So it, 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 it assumes that you're going to be doing that. That's why the Buddha taught it. Again, remember, a, a successful jhana meditation practice is not sitting in a trance-like state for 30 minutes or two weeks. Jhana meditation is recognizing, practicing these four foundations of mindfulness. Uniting, bringing my breath into my body as the first foundation, and then recognizing, using that anchor of my breath to recognize when I'm distracted by feelings or thoughts. And I simply take another breath. And that fourth foundation of mindfulness that I mentioned earlier, that quality of mind, it's important to recognize that because that's kind of the benchmark for how your jhana your practice is developing. And you just reference it, that that yes, you feel that you're gaining benefit in the overall quality of our mind. That's the fourth foundation of mindfulness. So you're describing a, 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 um, a well-focused jhana uh, practice within the framework of the Dhamma. But Good for you. Kevin, how are you?
2: Doing well, John. Thank you for the talk. Uh, nice to see everyone and meet some of the new folks that I haven't met yet.
0: Kevin um, is one of our resident teachers here. Everyone
2: I enjoyed um, what you said. I mean, I, I think I find myself noticing the quality of my mind a lot. However, maybe not being aware of the sensation of breathing um so i'd like to take some insight into that kind of i don't know i i mean i don't notice the the quality of my mind is pretty pretty you know placid and i like it but I'd, i'd like to become more aware of the sensation of breathing in my body and sort of the not just jump to the way my mind is maybe unite my mind and my body a little more so if that makes any sense like to
0: work on this you you bring up something practical that i that uh if you're having difficulty finding your breath take some exaggerated take two or three exaggerated breaths as hard as you can oh that sounded terrible (laughs) excuse me but as and as exaggerated and deep a breath as you can take two or three of them and then come back to your breath because sometimes it is difficult to to actually find our breath it just at times it seems so subtle um, so just exaggerate it a little bit and then you know, then bring it back to, to where you were. So, thanks for bringing that up, Kevin, and Josh brought that up. Hello, Meg. Hi
3: there. Um, uh, interesting uh, that, that you would bring that up, Kevin, because that's a lot of what I was actually going to be talking about with my own experience. And... Um, First of all, there's a couple of things that I think I've recently um, learned from the meditation I've been doing. And one of them is um, really powerful for me, and that is um, recognizing how much I judge myself. And um, so like when I'm doing meditation and a thought comes in and and I have a reaction like, oh, I I really messed up again or something, you know, and I've recently been able to just drop that Good. and go, no, this is okay. And John, that's because of some things that you've been saying, you know, that, uh, no, you don't want to judge yourself. Just go back to your breath, you yep. know? And, uh, and, and just in, in starting to practice doing that, I, I'm realizing, wow, that is just so powerful because is. in my life, If I can do that, I start to see how much I've been judging other people. Yes. And And I think that the cure for that is to stop judging myself.
0: Yep. The only way.
3: And so, and then, okay, so that's the first thing, which is like super powerful for me. And then the second thing was this idea of my breath at going back to my breath in my body, because for a while it felt like I'm not that effective at it. I feel like it's not really working that well because then my, my thoughts just keep coming back in and, and then just like recently, I started focusing on my breath in my chest, like in the center of my chest and it changed it shifted everything. And I started, and then I was asking myself, like, why, why is that different? And I, and so I was trying to do it the way I was doing it before. And I think I was focusing on my breath being more up here. I know this seems really weird, but it's almost like a level of where I am in my body. Mm. Like when when I'm in my mind, I'm like way up here. (laughs) And when I'm in my body, I start coming down. Right. And So I think I was focusing on my breath more as I'm breathing it in and out of my nose. And it wasn't very effective. And when I bring it down here, I feel like I get more back in my body. And then like this morning, you were talking about the first being number one, the four foundations is being mindful of the breath in the body. It's not just being mindful of the breath. It's being mindful of the breath and the body. And I think for me, that has been a really um, powerful key point. Yeah. So. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Thomas. Thank you Meg. That was, that was really great. And you're you're listening to the guided meditations from the website? Yes. Good, good, good. Yeah, I encourage you all to do that. If, if you're not, at least you get used to it. But, you know, so. Thanks, Meg. Hello, Maura. Microphone there you go. Yeah,
4: there it goes. Um Hello everybody. I, I don't have much to add. Um other than I think this is a hugely embodied practice and um I guess over the years body as the anchor I mean there's there's so much I could I mean kind of be said about um, you know practicing and such but um, I'm trying to just keep my thoughts to what would be relevant now um, but being anchored in the body and knowing also when one is not anchored in the body and knowing um, I mean the <laughs> on a very mundane level, the relief of returning to the body without judgment. Um, I noticed today in the sitting meditation, for some reason, I had some, um, something, you know, a sensation that was passing through and holding and some tension. I don't recall what it was, but it was like, um, Probably, you know, some, some, often it's a sensation that arises in the body. There's some tension against it. Then there's a thought that appears, you know, oh, like, you know, I, something bad is happening and it'll bring back some unpleasant thought or something that they're all, they're all connected, right? You know, when I have, um, when things are very tranquil and I can feel gripping of self it wants to hold on to that tranquil feeling. So it, the, the mind will start generating these like thoughts of like, oh, ice cream or somebody that I like, or, you know, it's just, it, it it's just trying to pull in these clinging and craving and attaching to pleasantness that I want to hold on to. Um, and, oh, I think that's when I got the bad feeling because, um, The discipline and holding in mind the the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path to return to the breath and the body and times like that, there's resistance. (laughs) And um, I think I felt some sadness because it was like some pleasant little daydream. Mm. And um, so I brought a lot of warmth And just a simple phrase of you're safe here. Um, And it allowed that kind of just moving through. And then I felt like a little pull out again. Can we get back to that, whatever that pleasant thing was? And then just returning. Um, So, you know, again, so much can be said about this, but I have found that in deepening a real, um, the mindfulness as it was laid out by the Buddha and as John um, you know, talks about so much, it is holding in mind that which is skillful and that which isn't, that which causes suffering, that which releases suffering. And over that very simple practice of meditation in which we are doing that, it becomes clearer and clearer what is needed to be done what is not needed to be done, what is needed to be said, what is not needed to be said, what is you know needed to be whether I should speak or not speak. Um, all these factors of the path come together on um, action and effort and speech and intention. And um, they just really end up helping to develop wisdom, contentment, Real happiness. Last night, I just I'll just end on this like little anecdote. I had I had work that needed to be done, not like just household bill work. I had to pay bills, and I kept thinking, I just want to sit and relax. But I knew I needed to pay those bills, and and it was laborious, and it was opening up accounts for this or that. And the interesting thing, I was watching how the body felt during that process and after. And um, this wasn't a personal experience. It was just what needed to be done. And the truth of it, at like 1030, I felt deeply content and happy. If I had chosen to just relax, I think I would have felt crappy. So it's, you know, we're still confused as Alpha say, I'm confused sometimes about what creates at the contentment and what doesn't. So I just kept, this is what needs to be done. This is the pile and that's it. Okay, done.
0: Thank you, Maura. Alex, how are you?
5: Hi, John. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Hey. Hi, everybody. Um, no, just pretty simple feedback from me, really. I'll keep it simple this week. Um, well, first of all, this um, practice is really I think I said to you a while ago, it's really helped my meditation overall. It's, it just makes sense to me, this one. And, and when I do it, um, as, as difficult as it is to, to keep, you know, like you say to keep improving without trying to improve and, you know, that finding that balance, um, it just makes sense to me. So I'm, I'm happy to sit there and do it. So that's the place to start for me. So, I, so that's great. Um, and actually, your your advice to do it twice a day—that um, I I hadn't heard that before—and I've been that's been my new challenge this week, and um, I found it quite challenging actually. But it's it's uh, I think it's something I want to do. Yeah, um,
0: absolutely. My main
5: question, yeah, I, I think I was trying to do it before bed a couple of times, and it was a bit too late and, and stuff. So it's a real challenge for me to do it any other time in the day. But but I've. I've I've started so that's good um, yeah the main question for me is is about the breath like you just you just touched on it a bit when you said about taking a few exaggerated breaths to, to, to help to focus and I do that sometimes good. Um, but I wondered because we also when you teach the meditation you talk about being mindful of the breath so how do we find the balance between watching the breath and controlling the breath like how much do we allow it Mm. i don't know if i ever allow myself to i'd love to think i can just stop you know detach myself and i would just breathe but i feel like i'm always making a conscious decision to take that breath in and out like what are we working towards
0: um boy you bring up two really good good points what we're uh The the take, breathing as a human being for almost everyone is the most simple obvious thing that we do, isn't it? But some people who have had different levels of trauma in their life do have a difficult time finding their breath. And if you think about when I, when I think when I when I think a, a safe is going to fall on my head, what do I do? I stop my breathing, don't I? So that becomes a conditioned response to people. And and you know nobody gets through life without without stress. I see it in, in and almost clinical levels of stress in people that not necessarily going to war, just living a human life, especially now is stressful. So um, as we continue to do this practice, the way it's the way it's laid out, um, the maintaining a subtle connection to the breath does become almost automatic. But part of developing that is practice. So what you're going through right now, Alex, is just Dhamma practice. How do you do it? You just do it with continued practice. And you, you brought up something else about going from uh, one sit a day to two sits a day. Uh, everyone that is taking this course should be doing two sits a day. And I know if you're used to one, it's, it's difficult to find the time to do it. So what I suggest is around 12 hours from when you first sit. But like you said, not right before bed, because then all you want to do is go to bed. It's not you know at least a couple hours if you can do that. Um but also, if say if you, if you have a routine of sitting for uh, 20 minutes when you first get up and you want to incorporate a second sit, don't feel like you have to sit again for 20 minutes. Begin your second sit with maybe just five minutes or so. Or if you're sitting for a half an hour in the morning and you simply just don't have the time, sit for 15 minutes in the morning and 15 minutes in the evening because you'll gain so much more benefit out of two 15-minute sits than you will out of one 30-minute sit. And almost everyone I've ever gave that advice to has come back and said, yeah, that second sit made all the difference in the world. Even if they weren't meditating, I've had meditators for, that you have know, come to me and they kind of proudly say, oh, I meditate for an hour and 15 minutes a day every day. And I say, try breaking that up. And to a person, they'll say what a difference it made. So uh there's nowhere I read that the Buddha taught that we should meditate for X number of minutes a day or X number of hours. But twice a day. Start with short periods of meditation if you're just beginning and gradually work up to 20 minutes or 30 minutes. And you might want to know I meditate for 30 minutes twice a day and that's my basic practice. And it's been that way for years. Uh, Every now and then I'll feel like I want to sit for a long period of time and I just go ahead and do it if the dog lets me. But that's my practice. And that's again, that's what I learned from following the Buddha's Dhamma. So thank you, Alex. Uh, I believe Jordan is next. How are you, Jordan?
6: Hey, yeah, I'm doing good. Thanks. Good to see you all. Good to see um, you. So I had a few comments on about the lesson from, from week two on, on the website. I um, um, found that the writings about quality of mind was interesting, too, and it was in either, either two, one of two categories. And it was useful for me to aim for my mind to be Aiming towards developing a release from the craving, clinging, yeah. and the cessation of stress. Okay. Um, so it's yeah, I just found the kind of you're either this or you're that. You're either kind of
7: yeah,
6: um, subject to your mind or kind of aiming to be in control of it. And that was a good thing to me to to realise for myself. Yeah. Um, It was good for me to be reminded that the ability to observe observe feelings comes when the mind has become quiet through breathing. It's only once you have, um, yeah, once you're in the rhythm of observing your breath, then you can. uh, Only then can you observe your feelings. Um, And the word "clinging" of the clinging mind was very connected with me because it's just a very good way to to describe it. I think in the kind of Having the yeah. thoughts, having just control of your mind um, and very needy was, was just a very good way to um, yeah describe it and imagine it. Um, so, yeah, they were my thoughts on, on what I read. And from today's meditation, yeah, it's, it's been good. I've been trying also to do it um, twice a day. Good. Um, I've been so successful, but um, I've been... I've been aiming for it. Yeah,
0: good.
6: And yeah, it's going... I haven't really noticed just my non... the rest of my day changing so much. Maybe once or twice I would just have a idea of being conscious in that moment and I kind of breathe before I'm mm-hmm. know, stepping out of the house to do something. But that's the only time. I wonder if that... Um, is, it, is it the aim to have that more naturally come to you in all aspects of
0: well, day-to-day life? remember, Jordan, you're just beginning this course. And so the rest of this course is going to be about learning. Next week is the Four Noble Truths. After that is three weeks on the Eightfold Path. So you're yet to really learn that and integrate it. But so you'll, you'll see by the end of this course what it means to be mindful of the entire Eightfold Path and how that is how we transform ourselves from being rooted in ignorance of human life to, to awakening and it's through that path so you're just beginning but you're you're one of the reasons why this discussion period during our classes is so important is by what you're saying and the questions you all ask tell me that that you're getting it or you're not and if there needs to be some uh change in direction but so i would only ask you is that you see the relationship between the four foundations of mindfulness and jhana meditation is that correct Yes, that's yeah, well, the, that, the that's the important thing to take from that and, and and start building your practice in that. I mean, that's that's why they're called the four foundations, because this is these four aspects literally are the foundations for developing jhana, And jhana is the foundation for developing the Eightfold Path. So I would say from what you've told me, and what you're studying, you're, you're you're right where you need to be. So, okay. yeah, good. Thank okay. you, Jordan. Is that Vicki? I think it is yes hi Ricky. Hi,
8: um i really appreciate everyone sharing it's quite helpful and yeah my current challenges are some, somewhat related to some of the things that have been brought up um i've managed to be able to do twice a day now for the last few weeks so that's great pretty big for me because for the longest time i was doing once a day in the morning and um um i've so it's a big shift.
0: Um, so that's good. Um, did you add more time to your meditation practice, or did you split the two sessions up?
8: Um, I both actually. Um, I split it up. Well, I do it twice now, and then I try to do between. I usually have. I have been doing between fifteen and thirty for
0: the past week or so. That's outstanding. like I wouldn't even. I mean, I'm not telling you not to, but I wouldn't even push for too much more than that until you're okay. through the course <laughs> yeah really the, the the two sessions you're doing is is um, it, it's it'll serve you in good stead and, and again it's much more effective than one long session so good for you
8: my my two, two current challenges one it's kind of been brought up already is um, yeah the the habit of c- constantly judging and evaluating whatever comes up yeah <laughs> feels like a very strong force for me I think it's a a habit i've just developed in my everyday life for many many years so that's been i haven't been able to i haven't been able to let that go i'm more challenged with that um and then the other one is um uh wait i had another thought but that was the <laughs> i forgot at the moment but yeah the not judging what comes up um I've got the other one. I guess that's the well,
0: main one. <laughs> let me talk about that. And if you think about it, just, you know, please speak up again. Um, it, it, the key to the entire dhamma, and you've probably heard me say it a few times already, Vicky. but if you keep coming, you're going to hear me say it a lot. The key to developing the whole dhamma, but really the key to any successful action in human life is to be very gentle with ourselves, because as soon as we start judging ourselves harshly, we're, it's, and especially as a dhamma practice, we've lost the dhamma and we're back in eye making. Um, and, and it th- I think we've all talked about this in one way or another of dealing with harsh judgments of myself. Meg talked about a harsh judgment of herself when she had to come back to her breath. Um, and again, thank you for your honesty. Um, when we, when, when we find that all we're doing is judging ourselves for something we're choosing to do, meaning Jhana meditation, it's obvious that we're not going to get much out of it. Um, but again, I'm not saying if you're doing that to stop stop the judgment. Don't stop the practice. So every time you find that you're, you are you caught up in a harsh judgment of yourself, Vicki, the, the, the solution is always to just take a breath and let go of the judgment. Because if you judge yourself for, for judging yourself, it doesn't end, does it? We must be very, very gentle with ourselves. We must see our practice as it's often presented as a real refuge and see your meditation practice as a true refuge. In other words, not a place where you're going to get into conflict with your own mind but a place where you start recognizing and abandoning that conflict, please.
8: Am I also supposed to be not judging things as good? So not good
0: nor bad? Is that the goal? Yeah, well, that that, that is the goal, to just see life as life occurs. So as soon as I judge something as good, I'm I'm personalizing, but there's also some some subtle aspects of the Dhamma that you should recognize. Just, Just don't pat yourself on the back too much with it. So in other words, as you notice your concentration increases, and your your life becoming more calm and in most cases much simpler. It's okay to give yourself some credit for that, recognize the fruits of your efforts, you know? That that's important too. That's that's an aspect of being gentle with yourself, but it, we all have to check ourselves, you know, if we get to the point where man, I must be the world's greatest meditator cuz I just did it for a half an hour, you know, your practice is lost. But the practice itself, the eightfold path provides the framework and structure to not go there. So, simply put, you recognize that the uh, the benefit of remaining gentle with yourself and the the detriment to judge of harsh judgments, and that that's our practice as well. So, so I shouldn't be
8: afterwards thinking, oh, that was a good session, or that wasn't.
0: Such a good I, session. I I no, I don't want to get so picky about saying no. You should never do that. It's okay to recognize you had a good session. Again, but understand that that's just what that session was. Don't don't ex- even more talked about that. That if it's if we're, if we're attached to what's pleasing right now and it doesn't, it doesn't come up the next time we'll be grasping back at the last time we sat, wouldn't we? So it's okay to recognize that your, your, your practice is bearing fruit. Meditation is, is to me, it's the most pleasant thing I can do. And I acknowledge that all the time, mm. you know, and that's fine. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. Again, it's really about I making is not about, um, I making is, the abandonment of eye-making is not getting to the point where your life is just blah. In fact, it really is just a different, it, it completely different. The, the less I'm involved in taking things personal, especially my dharma practice, but life in general, the more present I am for that life. And so the, that moment has much more meaning in a depersonalized way than if I'm personalizing it. And that's always true. With that, again, bring it back to your dharma practice. When you're judging yourself harshly, you're personalizing your dharma practice. So, really, very insightful questions, Vicky. Thank you. Mark, how are you? Hey, John, good, thank you. Um, yeah, I really appreciate the answers,
9: actually. Yeah. <clears throat> Especially from, um, from, from everybody, but um, more, uh, um, there's a couple of points um sticking with just the practice to be honest what i noticed initially was um mostly doing morning meditations i think i did an evening meditation twice but i was just happy to have the time just happy to have the time away from doing anything else that, that alone before we even get into the practice um it was quite joyous. Um, and then as I got later into the week, sort of focusing on that quality of mind, um, I would notice that after, I don't know, about 10, 12 minutes, oh, this, you know, my quality of mind's increased. And then the judgment kicked in. I was like, why isn't my quality of mind like this all the time? And and obviously just getting into a discursive pattern, But I didn't realize until this session just, how you use the breath and I've, I've you know I've been to retreats and I've talked about um brief meditation and mindful and going back to the breath It hurt a million times but until you the way you worded it today about I don't want to say the anchor but the purpose of bringing the breath back on the second third and fourth stage and what it's really doing it just I can't pick the words exactly but it, it it finally adds some real weight or clarity as to what the breath is there for, yeah. as opposed Good. to just the narrative
0: that I've heard previously. Yeah, it, it, it emphasizing that that point. I mean, that's breath engaging in breath meditation without understanding why we're doing it is is almost, I mean, not completely, but almost useless, isn't it? We, we're, we're mindful of our breath because it unites our mind and our body. That's how we do it. That's the that's the vehicle for doing it, um, and again, it's it's important that you're recognizing this, Mark. I, I can tell by your questions and comments that you're developing the dhamma the way it's intended. And another thing that should be said here: this this is a, um, a relatively new sangha, even though we have four members from uh, our, our our other sangha. Um, but this is the benefit of a well-focused, well-informed sangha. We've, I think we've met three or four times now. We've, we've yet, never will, get into discussions about things during class that have nothing to do with class. And it, and the way that you're learning, now maybe I should say this: the, the rapidity that you're learning, proves how important that is and how we've established another true refuge of the Dhamma right here. And, and you, and I, I'm saying that so you should all um, take an impersonal credit for, for what you've done. Uh, it, it really is remarkable that this is here. So thank you. Tom, how are you? I'm
2: um, good, thanks. Um, John? Uh, yeah, so just a, a couple of things. Um, first of all, I think what, what um, Mark just said sort of struck a chord with me as well. It's that, it's that clarity of what's the purpose of the breath, right, in yeah. meditation. Rather than thinking, I think, I think very vaguely, i when i was learning meditation in years gone by i felt it was some you know the breath was the end in itself there was some sort of idea that you had to turn you had to go into some sort of um, transcendental state yeah and then you'd stay there for ages and you'd be in some blissful state for 30 minutes of perfect concentration and then and then you'd come out of it and of course when you never match up to that you think you're doing it wrong and, yeah and then so i think i think that idea that it's just there to sort of interrupt right and to okay. make you aware of um of the four noble truths really and how how we how they affect our lives and our peace of mind that's, that's really
9: really helpful and um something else that because that, i met vicky um on a um actually i
2: didn't meet her on the retreat but we went on a retreat when we we're in the philippines um uh, with with a um, yeah, a really beautiful movement, actually, um, a meditation movement. But one of the things they talk about is different types of sort of mindful, you know, and I think the author, the, the leader of that movement is the one that had, you know, was originally coined this idea of like meditation, mindful washing up and stuff like mm. that, right? Mm-hmm. And so I just want to, because I, I think I do have some clarity on this and I just wanted to run it by you. But the reason why mindful washing up is not really dharma practice is uh, you know although it's not there's nothing necessarily wrong with it in nope. itself it's not sort of ethically bad or anything but nope. it's the fact that it doesn't it simply doesn't bring your awareness to four noble truths right it doesn't make you really because it's it's all about just focusing on the sensation of your hands and the, the, the washing up liquid or whatever it
0: might be. And that can be a, it's a, it's a, it's a concentration practice in a way, but it's not giving you wisdom. It's not an insight. That's into right. wisdom.
2: Is that, is
9: that correct?
0: Yeah, that's correct. And it also introduces the opportunity for more eye making. In other words, okay, I'm going to be mindful of washing my dishes. Oh, this is a new detergent. I don't think I really like this. What happened to, you know, I, I'm, I'm just using an example. The breath is the simplest thing that we can do, and it's the most direct anchor into our body. When we're we're mindful of our breath and our body, our minds are united in our body. When I'm rubbing my hands, I might be thinking about the callus I'm getting, right? I'm I'm rubbing my hands, and I'm thinking of the callus I'm getting from using a wheelchair all the time. That's not concentration, isn't it? Is it? So we've been given this great method for deepening concentration. Why do we want to substitute something for it? Because if I can make this my meditation, then I don't have to deal with my lack of concentration. And I'm not putting any of those other practices. The, the Buddha, it, it, when I, as I started getting into reading the suttas, it, the brilliance of Siddhartha Gotama and the simplicity of how he taught it struck me like a ton of bricks. Because I was doing all those other things too, and I thought they were good practices. And again, there's nothing wrong, ethically, ethically wrong, Except there's a good point here. Now, it would be ethically wrong for me to teach you to wash your dishes, uh, wash your hands as part of your Dhamma practice, because I know it's not. But that's all. And so, as again, I would ask you, if, that's, if there's other practices that you're enamored with, for the time you're taking this course, at least just do what the Buddha taught so you can contrast it to what your other practices might be. But. Yeah, yeah. Okay, thank
2: yeah. you. And then... Um, uh, yeah on the practice itself I'm also trying to do twice a day I do find there's quite a lot of resistance there. I'm, the key thing for me is doing it first thing in the morning to try and get some I, a bit like josh actually I wake up very often at three or 4 a.m and I have started to try to meditate then when I, if I can't sleep and it's it does it's a, it's a great time to meditate but if I if I sleep right through i, <laughs> I I've got um it's, it's very funny but I've got this it's like I, I'm, my meditation practice is competing with Piers Morgan, believe it or not. I can't believe I'm saying this on the TV. Uh, he's a a, a a terrible
9: news anchor, um, <laughs> and he has this more Good Morning
2: Britain show. And I, I find myself like, it's really weird how your mind works. Like, right? I know meditation is so much more meaningful, and it's so much more important for my life, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And yet, I just want to like sit there with a mug of tea and watch this this. You know,
0: idiot. It's called conditioned thinking, isn't it? Yeah. You're habituated. weird
2: how it's like that is so much more of an attractive
3: um,
2: proposition for some very strange reason rather than actually meditating when I should meditate. But anyway, I'm trying to, I I think what you said about meditating even just for five minutes or something to get into the habit of doing it, right?
0: And then go and. Well, hopefully, hopefully, I should probably improve my TV tastes as well. But anyway, that's another matter. Sounds <laughs> like it. Yeah, the, the, uh, I mean, I've been teaching this way for years. For beginning meditators, it's best to start out with five minutes or even less until you get used to that twice a day. And, and when you're trying to add a second session, do the same thing. Start with a, you know, just a five-minute session or a two-minute session and get into that routine of a second sit. And eventually you'll have um, what an authentic right meditation practice. But it does take... Two sits. It really, this does, this practice does require two sits and eventually you'll build, build up to 20 or 30 minutes. But don't do that gradually. In other words, if you're just starting out meditation and beginning this course, I would tell you to, to keep it even down to two 10 minute sessions, even if you want to go more until we're done with the course. If you, if you try to do too much or get it in your head that you should be sitting for an hour a day when that's almost impossible you're just going to get frustrated and stop the practice rather than gradually build it, build it up. And again, I learned that I've read a whole, I haven't read every sutta the Buddha taught, but I've read a lot of them. There's over 300 that have been restored on the website. And I've never, ever come across anything by the Buddha saying, after a week, you should be meditating for 20 minutes or putting any time frame. The Buddha simply said, when when it's time, go find the root of a tree or an empty hut and do jhana. So that's what we're doing. Thanks Tom. Michael, how are you?
7: Oh, hi John. Uh, hi everybody. Um, very good, uh, conversation going on here this morning. Uh, uh-huh. I just, uh, figured out a couple of things that, uh, will be helpful in understanding or gaining clarity. So, uh, one was on, uh, page 71 of the book, uh, and starts so, so off. Notice that it is a reaction to an external event that was perceived through one or more of your six senses that initiated the feeling. It is at the point of contact with the external experience that a personal self referential attachment is made. By developing mindfulness of this process, you'll gain insight and understanding of the subtle but pervasive and continual establishment of a self that is prone to confusion and suffering. This is the ongoing process of eye-making, also known as conceit.
0: Wow, that's brilliant. Who wrote that? I'm sorry? Who wrote that? Who wrote that?
7: (laughs) The greatest uh, Buddhist teacher in the (laughs) the world, obviously.
0: (laughs) The problem is I think (laughs) that was one long sentence, but that's okay. Uh,
7: It really was, but it uh, works really well. Um, (laughs) um, This ongoing process of eye-making, also known as conceit, it's the eye-making that is... That leads us into uh, self-referential existence, which is kind of hard to break away from. Uh, I'm sure uh, everyone is experiencing that. But uh, the other, the other, we one of our just past class, not to not too long, uh, Meg had said something that had, adds clarity to this, and actually, um, uh, I think it's a pretty good good way of un- understanding when this occurs. Uh, as we know, like the ego self props up. Like so subtly, we don't even recognize we're being goical you know. But uh, if uh, you know, as I said, the way Meg had uh, uh, put it forth was that, like, when she walks into a room, it, you know, she you know, the two things occur, you know, either self consciousness or self aware. Yeah. That was brilliant, you know.
0: Yeah.
7: And that's that's a pivot point, you know, knowing yeah. knowing that point of you know, uh, where we're giving rise to uh, the ego self or we're giving a, a rise to clarity and uh, understanding the Buddha's Dhamma. So, so simply put, uh, you know, if we, if we want to keep the mind and the body united, we, we, uh, we need to recognize that point. We need to recognize yeah. when we are being self-conscious and, and we need to know uh, and realize that, Self-aware is is that which is going to keep the mind and the body united. When the mind and the body yeah. is united, then we'll find peace and equanimity there. Uh, once we become self-conscious, we we uh, cross over to the uh, egoical side of our con you know of our of our mind.
9: Yeah.
7: And if we give uh, you know credibility and uh, susten or, or or energy to there, we feed that. And that's when we're going to continue uh, on this our stress and suffering, and won't see an end to it until we become become aware of that, breaking from it. So uh, that comes, uh, you know, like uh, when we're talking about, uh, you know, you know, jhana and uh, and actually the the, our quality of mind, uh, our quality of mind becomes uh, becomes less entangled over. Period of time with yeah. with right meditation um, to the point of, and like we were just going over the the uh, uh, four stages of jhana in our in our other class, um, and and it came up like in the fourth level of jhana, that's when you know greed and aversion start you know subsiding, you know and disappearing so to say. And we read our, when we read ourselves of greed and aversion, and, and our mind is becoming peaceful and equanimous. But more so importantly, it enables us to be present in our uh, as our moment to moment unfold in our daily lives. Oh. In that presence that we are uh, 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 experiencing, we have a dispassion for self referential uh, views and, and and action. And that's what we're all aiming for. Not so easily done, but the more we sit down and realize that the deepening, uh, deepening jhana, deepening meditation
9: yeah.
7: will bring us there and not to get frustrated at this early point in, in, in our practice because uh, I have, I've been here for going on two years uh, and I've, I started to recognize this. Uh, it's something that requires um, you know, a devotion to it. Uh, it doesn't mean you can't have a you know a, a normal uh, human life, but being aware in, that, norm, uh, in that, that human life is what we're actually striving for. So that's what I got out of that, and I hope that helps. Uh,
0: that's brilliant, so Michael. Thank you. That, um, that reference that, that you made in Meg made to self-consciousness or versus self-awareness, Another way of saying that is self-consciousness is I making, isn't it? And yes. self-awareness is is mindfulness of the eightfold path. Seeing yourself in a dispassionate way is the way to look at mindfulness. You know, it, in fact, if it's not dispassionate, it's not mindfulness. You know, it's a good way to check yourself on that. So, thank you, Michael. Greg, how are you? Hello there. Hello everyone.
10: Uh, not too bad. Thank you. Good. Um, I. Apologise, I wasn't able to make it last week. And actually, this is one of the, I must confess, one of the reasons, issues I have is implementing a structure. And that's what I want to try and be better at doing in terms of oh. engaging in meditation um, and things. And realising that actually, weirdly, over here, we're locked in complete lockdown and working from home. And ironically, it seems to, I don't know, make you lose sense of time. And so I found myself not being able to instill and implement a routine for meditation, which has been problematic. And that's the very thing I need to battle. And as a result of that, I realized that, um, the whole young elephant uh, metaphor that you recite in your account, in your book is certainly an issue that I have in relation to just trying to quieten the mind. And there's another aspect actually, that's troubling me that I realized if I, I might be getting ahead of myself, because I find the whole concept very empowering all round, and I think when it comes to the stresses of my own life, I think I could, I would, I find we'll find this empowering. But the thing that I find troubles me, and when I'm trying to quieten my mind, this is the stuff that comes in, is the stresses affecting people close to me and their management of stress. Yeah. If that makes sense. It does. Because they're going through some really bad stuff and. I worry about how they're managing their
0: stress. And that's stuff I can't <clears throat> quieten down. So thanks for bringing all this up, Greg. So during meditation, when our when our uh, altruism or compassion arises to the point where it's distracting us during meditation, we take a breath and let it go. And there's nothing selfish about that. And I, I think the reason why we struggle when we're thinking about just all the suffering in the world and we take a breath and dismiss that as somehow we feel like we're dismissing the world. But all we're doing is, is using meditation the way it's meant to be to deepen, deepen my concentration. And so off my cushion outside of my Jhana session, I, I certainly will consider the suffering in the world and people that I know are suffering and people that are contributing to their suffering. Um, but I'm in a much better position to help them. Aren't I? When, when I am well concentrated, um, kind of like what we all, we've all we all talked about that are new to the truth of happiness, um, you're you're understanding the ramifications of where we're going, and it's just going to take a few more weeks to really lock it in. And lock, What I'm talking about is locking in the Eightfold Path, deepening your concentration well enough so you're starting to see things from the point of view of right view rather than struggling with where you're going and learning to accept that. But it, it takes a little bit of process. And again... As a Sangha, this is probably the fifth or sixth time that some of us, more, for one, Kevin, if he's still here, I don't know if he is, we go through this once a year as a Sangha, because our practice continues to deepen. So you're going through it, some of you, for the first time. So understand that what you're doing right now is laying a foundation that's going to serve you well for the next couple years of your Dhamma study. But this is the way to do it. Get this foundation first, and then you'll understand the rest of it, so... um, We've gone on a little bit, so... Uh, John, yes, Michael. Quickly, I just one thing uh, in yes, reference sir. to uh,
7: what Greg had said and uh, uh, suffering and seeing uh, other individuals suffering? Um, you know, uh, John, I, I think we discussed this some time ago in, in class uh, that Julia had brought up uh, the difference between empathy and compassion. Um, you know, empathy is taking on someone else's suffering and like almost internalizing or making it personal you know to you uh and so empathy is is when we're actually we have two people suffering there you yeah. know we have we have the person who's going through the actual suffering and another person suffering because of what they're going through but like the buddha actually when the buddha's form of compassion or compassion as i think it's meant to be um understood is to, is to not take on or absorb the other person's passion so much as it is to, is to skillfully help help someone to, to yes. recognize recognize their, their, uh, their suffering and, and enabling them to find a way past it.
0: And so, the, the way to do that within the Dhamma is to develop wisdom to go with our compassion. and then we, then as we engage with the world, we won't be doing harm. Um, so you well, you've heard me say even in this class, probably every class, I say it now that if we want to end conflict in the world, particularly in our loved ones' lives, we'll first end conflict in our mind because then we can actually do something about it that won't contribute to that. So, and that's what we're doing. You know, the the, uh, the Buddha was a most peaceful man, and he taught others to be peaceful. But he wasn't peaceful as a concept that in order for me to be a good human being, I have to be peaceful. He he became peaceful as a consequence of being a human being. It's quite different, you know, and that's what we're all developing. Again, we all need to be very gentle with ourselves if we're going to continue in this path because it requires that. Um, but I think you are. Um, so next week, we're going to you'll be looking at class three of the Four Noble Truths. Uh, do the same thing. Read the chapter. Write a little bit about it that you can bring to class and start looking about how the Four Noble Truths relate to the Four Foundations of Mindfulness relates to jhana meditation, how it all fits together. Um, so we'll open the room again next Thursday at two o'clock for a two fifteen start. I do like to start on time, um, so and I don't want to put anybody off. So we're, we're going to try to start our class on two fifteen at two fifteen. Um, those that are interested, this class will be repeated on Saturday because we're doing the Four Foundations of Mindfulness in that series too. But uh, you're, you're all developing developing this just as you should. Uh, I want to thank you all for participating, particularly those that have a little bit more time and uh, are joining us here. So, any questions or comments? And again, anything comes up during the week, always feel free to send me an email. I'm always available to you. So, peace, everyone. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you. Thank Thanks you so much. See you thank Saturday or well. well. see, you next, see you, you next week. Thank you.
1: John. Bye. See you, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.